You're listening to the Built Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. It's playoff time for high school football in North and South Dakota, and Midco SN's Varsity Sports Live has it covered. Watch VSL every Friday at 10... I'm sorry. Watch VSL every Friday at 10.30 p.m. for extended highlights and interviews from the teams you care about as they march on to the Dakota Bowl and the Dakota Dome. That's Varsity Sports Live on Midco SN. This is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Build Shaves Podcast. We're taping this on a Wednesday morning, October the 21st. Alex Heinrich, Build Shaves. Built a little a little winter mix in the air, even though we just drifted into fall a couple of weeks ago. Not not a very long fall in this part of the world again this season, is it? No, no. Uh, it, love love a good fall and spring for sure, but it always seems like fall and spring are never long enough, doesn't it? I would agree. I mean, it seems like sometimes we go straight from, you know, I'll say chilly to right sometimes into 85, 90 degrees. And you, you kind of miss <laughs> that 70 degree window, which, uh, yeah, in, in October. And uh, whew, I mean, as we're sitting here, I think looking ahead a couple of days from now, I think the low is going to be like eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it feels a little too early for that, but, but that's kind of the way it is. Mid to late October. That's, that's when it can happen any particular time. Just because we're talking about this, Bill, you've lived all over the country. You've lived on the East Coast. You've lived in the South. You've lived in the Pacific Northwest. And obviously now you live in the upper Midwest. If you were just going to pick a place solely for weather, throw out everything else, forget job, forget anything else, just based on weather, where would you pick in the United States? Yeah, so I've been in uh, – I'd say generally, if you're going to say for a 12-month cycle – a 12 month mm-hmm. cycle. Um, I, I would say probably for me, and again, this is just me, um, it, it Colorado was probably the nicest uh, weather um, because if you were not at in the foothills, uh, you might get snow, but it seems to be gone uh, a day or two later because of how much sunshine that state gets. And, uh, you know, I lived there, uh, with my wife for two years and I, I don't think I ever wore a winter jacket. I mean, because it was always, uh, it was always sunny. So I would say a 12 month cycle. If you were to say, you know, uh, it, the summers in, uh, Eastern Washington are tremendous because there's no humidity. And I think, you know, having lived in New England and to some degree here in the Midwest, uh, you get a, a level of humidity that uh, not so much not so much as New England. New England, sometimes you can cut it with a knife. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, the south uh, just gets so darn hot, uh, you know, in Texas. So, yeah, I, I would say probably Colorado if I had uh, probably my druthers over a 12 month period. Yeah, that's a good pick. I do have some friends that are from the Midwest, from Minnesota, from um, the Black Hills in South Dakota that moved out to Denver and had just kind of sort of thinking, oh, this will be a neat job opportunity for a little bit and then I'll move back home. They've never come back. They've been there for over a decade because it's perfect. It's just such a great place to be. So I think from my experience being out there, I would agree with you. I think that's a good spot. 
if you've grown up, I think, with uh, the seasons, if you will, uh, I, I, I think you get kind of used to it. It sort of marks time for you. Yeah. And, and Colorado kind of gives you that that opportunity. And, you know, here it's just uh, you know, obviously the winter uh, is just longer. Right. I mean, it just starts <laughs> earlier and ends later. And and so you just get not a lot in, in between, uh, you know, the, the winter and the summer. And so uh, I think if you go to somewhere in the country where maybe it gives you that opportunity to have more in that fall, spring, uh, you know, because, again, it, you're just some people just, you know, don't like the hot, hot. And, and, and certainly I'm not sure how many people love the cold, cold. But uh, you <laughs> probably know. a small percentage of just the population. Saying, just saying. <laughs> oh, but you know we we bear it because there are so many other positives about living yeah. in this part of the world. So yeah. one of the things that comes with the territory, so it makes us appreciate makes us appreciate the times when it is nice. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, a busy pod today. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we potted last. Again, like we we say all the time, a lot has happened since the end of September when we got together. Um, the big news, of course, that just broke last week, and there's been rumblings about this for a while, and we've talked on this pod about the potential for the NCHC moving to a bubble or a hub city or a pod of some sort. The pod is what they're calling it. The NCHC pod is going to be in Omaha for the first half of the season, all eight teams located there for essentially the month of December, more or less, 10 games per team, Yeah, obviously a lot of hockey in a short period of time. Your initial thoughts, Bill, this is something, of course, that you've been a part of the process of, of figuring this out. What do you think about the conclusion that the, the league has come to? Yeah, I thought Commissioner Fenton uh, did a great job uh, leading the conversation uh, with uh, the presidents and the ADs uh, and the head coaches and the captains to try to get your head around how, how do you start the season uh, and give yourself the best chance possible. To, to drop the puck and play a multitude of games. And I think the thought, Alex, was how do you reduce the variables? And some of it is how do you reduce travel? And so that was the concept behind it. Now, you know, it, it, I think we all kind of understand the, the thought process of a bubble, so to speak, but this is not necessarily a bubble. I mean, it is, you know, eight schools coming together and trying to play as many games as possible. And again, trying to reduce the amount of variables so that, um, you know, the, uh, the virus doesn't spread uh, into a, a team or two, right? And, and it takes them down so that they can't play. So this was in response to that. Now, I think there's still a lot of work to be done um, to, you know, between now and let's just say early December. And then I would say even during that three weeks, you know, it's going to be, you know, interesting because literally it's it's something that we as a conference have never done before. Yeah, it's a unique solution to a difficult challenge. And especially when we've talked about this, when you've got three different time zones represented in your conference, everybody's making flights across the country to try and play games you know, to eliminate, and the way they've done it with, with an East division and a West division, you're playing teams from the opposite division to reduce those number of flights. Very smart. You're trying to stack those games with a little flexibility in terms of the schedule in case something happens. Also smart. You're going to make the second half of the season then a lot more drive heavy. They've done a good job really of exploring all the options, even in uncertain times and difficult circumstances and a lot of unknowns that might still pop up. This at least gives the, the schools a chance to get these games in given 
all the difficulties that have come with 2020 in this season and just the, the uniqueness of this conference in itself. Yeah, I appreciate, uh, you know, Commissioner Fenton's, I guess, entrepreneurial thought process on, you know, uh, attempting to put something in play that gives us the best chance possible. And, uh, you know, with that, it's no secret that uh, uh, Grand Forks, uh, REA, UND Athletics were uh, at least vying for, uh, you know, the opportunity to host as well. And I, I think, Here's here's really the good news. We had two uh, two schools, two members of the conference that were at least willing to put themselves out there to do something that's that's never been done before. Omaha ended up being the choice in the end. Obviously, Grand Forks was was right there and certainly had a great chance as you know having the best facility period. But it sounded like the University of Nebraska Medical Center being so close, just some of the, some of those testing opportunities maybe put Omaha's bid, is that kind of what you see from your perspective, why they were ultimately chosen instead of Grand Forks and the Ralph? Yeah, I mean, you've got worldwide infectious disease experts literally a, a mile away from, from Baxter Arena. Now, um, I think that was, uh, I'll say, comforting to uh, potentially, I guess, the other member schools uh, to some degree. Now, I'll say that, you know, Either way, either direction you went in, now I'm incredibly biased, right? Like I, I think that we would have been um, just more than fine on the medical side here in Grand Forks. And then I'd say the infrastructure that the Ralph provides, um, you know, was certainly something intriguing uh, to discuss for the for the conference. And, uh, and you know, it was uh, not all clearly apples to apples, uh, you know, with both, uh, both, uh, bids, if you will. And I think the good news is at least two institutions were potentially willing to take this on because it's a challenge, uh, whomever got it, whether it be Omaha or us. Josh Fenton in his press conference after the announcement kind of mentioned, you know, I think someone asked the question about, Hey, you know, is there some relief that you've kind of gotten the ball rolling and that you figured this out. And he was really quick to say, we just have a plan. You know, we, we haven't reached the summit yet. We haven't even started. You know, we're still six weeks away from the start of this thing. There's still a lot that we have to do in the buildup, you know, to get the ball rolling. At the same time, though, do you feel just a little sense of relief that now there, there is something on paper? I know you talk all the time about anybody can make a schedule. You actually have to, to play it out and figure it out. But it has to be at least a, li- a little bit comforting to know, all right, now we have a heading now we can start moving forward. I know for the guys, that certainly has been a big thing to see games on a schedule. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think I think Josh is right. Um, there's at least a direction right now as far as where schools will be going. I, I think, you know, the work really began, uh, you know, for the host uh, on Friday to really get their head around how this would all work. And I think uh, for the other seven of us now, we are trying to figure out the logistics of, you know, going down there and figuring out all the details. And, you know, the one thing we've learned through all of this, Alex, since really March is that daily, weekly, monthly, it feels like new information comes out and we have to be able to adjust and pivot through, you know, what might, you know, be occurring at that point. So that's what we know today. And it is, it is good for us to know that we have a direction, but, 
really in so, in so many ways the work has just begun what is kind of the biggest hurdle for this to come off without an issue yeah i i you know sure i think i think you're going to start with what happens uh if there's a positive, right? And, uh, and what does that do to a, a, a team? And, you know, my guess is, you know, after you contact Trace to some degree and that you have, you know, um, close contacts, the, the chances of a team, you know, getting to the end of the pod, if you will, is going to be challenging if, if you're not perfect, when it comes to testing, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's, it's just the truth. I mean, we, you know, we've got to be really diligent and I say we collectively, not just UND, we as a, as a, um, as a conference going down there that even in the, in the, uh, I guess most diligent way, this is a virus that, that you can contract, um, and, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be for sure a challenge. And I think, you know, to some degree, Alex, I think every time there's going to be testing, you're going to be holding your breath. Hmm. Do you get a sense of, I know this is still early. Do you get a sense of how many times per week teams will be tested, what those protocols will look like, or are those things all still in process right now? Yeah, I think that, you know, we needed to know. So I, I think the way, we were discussing it uh, through the process was we need to be able to be able to change along the way if we need to. But I, I, I would say today, as we sit here, um, it'll be no doubt at least three times a week testing because that's what the NCAA's guidelines have come out for high level contact sports. And so it could even be more than that. It could be a fourth time. So uh, I, that's still in conversation right now, but I think that was part of the uh, conversation leading up. Could we, could we, uh, could we make sure and, and do that? Should the, uh, should the conference want to go to say a fourth day and that would exceed what the NCAA is indicating that you potentially need to do. But as we've seen, even with pro sports, you know, they're in daily testing mode. So I I'd say more testing is better than less testing. And so, uh, you know, what the sweet spot and the number is, you know, I, I, we probably will be at no doubt a minimum of three and it could be more. Good to know. With the announcement of the bubble, obviously the schedule, or I'm sorry, shouldn't call it a bubble anymore. With the announcing of the NCHC pod that's going to be in Omaha, we, we know some of the details of the schedule. We don't know the full picture yet. We also know now some of the details for the second half of the season, where we know UND is going to be playing Denver, Colorado College, and Omaha because they're their co-division mates, at least for this season, which will kind of be interesting. You're going to get sort of extra series against, uh, certainly with, with Denver and Omaha, some pretty big rival schools. I think the question I think a lot of people probably want to know is when UND comes back to the Ralph in January, whenever that will be, will fans be allowed in? Obviously, I'm not, I'm not, we won't have capacity, I'm sure, but is there kind of a thought maybe you could do 20% a limited number? Or where are we at with that process, Bill? Yeah, so I think it's going to completely depend upon where we are as a state and a county. Um, and so, uh, and probably the way, unless it changes in the state, at this point in time, Governor Burgum has indicated it's really in a lot of ways county by county. 
And so with that, it's the conversation with our local health department, our city leaders, our university leaders um, to really kind of think through what that may look like. And so that's something Jody and I are leaning into, having those conversations literally on a weekly basis. And we're just keeping the temperature so that we will end up putting out a plan, if you will, uh, to those entities for them to think through as far as what that will look like. And so we're not there yet because we're only mid-October right now. And so I, I think life, as we know, you know, two months from now is probably the time frame where we really need to solidify what that might look like because we'll have a better idea of what our county looks like. Really tough to project the future. So it's good to, good to take that one week at a time and not make any grand statements for things that might not happen until 2021. I would say this, we're doing the spade work right now so that we know what it is we're going to be potentially asking for. So it's not going to be, um, you know, it will not come out of the blue, so to speak, to those entities as far as what we're thinking right now, but uh, still premature for us to kind of think through that. In fact, today we're recording on a Wednesday, the 21st, and we actually are going to be sending out to our season ticket holders through the champions club. Just, um, just, it's almost a touch base in a sense to say, Hey, look, we still don't know the answers to these things. We probably won't know for another month, excuse me, a couple of months, but here are going to be your options at some point in time. Once we do know this, because the chances of us being at a hundred percent capacity is is probably slim at this point in time. So I think it's fair to say we're going to be at somewhere less than 100%. And so then what does that mean for our loyal fan base and our season ticket holders and our Champions Club holders? And so that communication is going out today. Good to know. I think people really will be excited to hear. Just a, just a brief update, even if there are no details, just to sort of know that all these things are being thought of. Because hopefully, yeah, once the calendar turns... There are going to be a lot of sports happening in Grand Forks. And some of the, obviously, we just touched on hockey. We know a football schedule now starting in, in late February. We'll be having home games, et cetera, to get things rolling. And we'll also have basketball here in town. And the, the Summer League hasn't officially announced all the details, but we do know that there will be uh, double headers on back-to-back days against the same opposition for the, for the Summit League conference season that will be coming our way. A, a very you know unique, different model where you're playing the same team on back-to-back days and the men and women essentially playing the same school. But again, in this weird year, to try and save travel, to try and eliminate you know teams from bouncing from spot to spot and all those sorts of things, this is another thing that just makes sense given the climate of things. Talk about the Summer League's decision to sort of go this direction for Hoops, Bill. Yeah, so, you know, the finalization of what you're describing is still in play a little bit. But, um, you know, so I, I don't want to, I guess, get in trouble with the Summit League here on, on the pod to, 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 <laughs> to, 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 to validate something that I believe sounds as if that might be an accurate statement. So if I can thread <laughs> that needle... At this point in time, I will thread that needle. But let's just say that was the schedule. Um, I will say this is our commissioners are doing a great job of communicating with each other as well. And uh, I think they're trying to be really thoughtful about 
should a schedule like that uh, be finalized? What would that look like for various schools that have hockey? Because there's three schools in the summit right now that obviously have that challenge. Um, there's other schools that have a challenge with, let's just say, um, let's just say the sport of wrestling. And then there's other schools that have uh, also football to worry about. And so not that you're going to be able to accommodate each of the schools per se. That's not the case. I think it really ends up becoming a facility issue more than anything, you know, um, because then it goes back to what you asked uh, the last time we just talked about as far as, you know, fans. I mean, so at the end of the day, if if you're at um, something less than 100%, there's going to be probably more ability to play simultaneous games in venues that are adjacent with each other. Well, you're not going to be able to do that if you play basketball in the same venue you play, say, hockey, right? So at the end of the day, there's just a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And so there has to be ultra communication among the leagues. And I'm happy to report that that I can report is there's been great communication among the leagues at this point. So, you know, the one thing that I think everyone needs to be cautioned with as well is, you know, if you want to go down the competitive equity rabbit hole, if, if that's the rabbit hole you want to go down, have at it, go for it. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure this is the time ultimately that that's going to win the day, that conversation or argument. I think you're going to try to do the best you can at this point in time. But at this stage, we've never, we've literally never lived any, through anything like this at this point. So we're just trying to navigate these uh, uncharted waters. Yeah, well said. Um, but this, by the way, is the official tweet from the Summit League. So I apologize if I misspoke earlier, but 16 game schedule for the men and the women. Teams will play each other twice at one site. Games will be held on back-to-back days. Each team receives a bye. Full schedules will be released later. And it's 2020, so everything is subject to change. Well said <laughs> from the Summit League. <laughs> well, I think that's, so that's great. where we're at. So it sounds like I won't get in trouble at this point in time. I, I think you're good. I think you're good. That was the official Summit Hoops Twitter page. So not not breaking any news here. This was already out there. But it it does, like you said, it does pose for, you know, the possibility of some really jam-packed weekends potentially in Grand Forks. When you think about football being moved to the spring, hockey's still going on, and now you know at least two certainly events, Friday, Saturday, with, with basketball on any given weekends. Lots of fun stuff to help navigate in, yeah, in the coming so, weeks. So the thought process was this, is obviously cutting the travel in half by the year. That, that's it. I mean, I mean, I, that was that, that I guess, uh, if you were going to say reduce variables, right. For, for, I'll say, you know, um, for, for schools and teams, it's, it's to reduce the travel. So that was it. Instead of going eight times on the road, you're going four times. Then it was, well, why double headers? Well, the reality of it was, it was a facility, you know, conversation and it was who, who had availabilities and not, and it was easier to schedule four dates versus eight dates it, because you could have potentially done sort of that mirror scheduling, if you will, where maybe um, one gender's on the road and one gender's at home, but then you then have to have access to the facility. So that was, that kind of won the day right now. And so, you know, is it right, wrong, or indifferent? I, as you said, it's 2020. 
<laughs> we're just trying to make it work. Guys, we're just trying to do the best we can. That's all you can say. So glad it's good to see a plan in place now, really. And that, now you can start to think ahead and really think of the possibility of seeing games take place now, really, in all of these sports. That, that's exciting, I think. I think for, for us in the media, certainly for fans, and most importantly for the players. I had a chance to interview a couple of the guys from the UND hockey team this week, and you can see the excitement. Like, And they talked about how when the announcement was made and they saw a schedule, just the boost in morale, you know, not that the guys were dragging or there was an intensity in practice, but it is hard to sort of gear yourself up for something that you don't really know when it's going to start, when that bowl is going to start getting pushed. And now that they can see, okay, here's our start date, here's our first opponent, etc. You could see that they're ready and they're excited. And that, that makes a huge difference, I think, for these student athletes, just, just, in, just for your, your general mental state of well-being. So kudos to the leagues for getting these things done here with, with a couple of weeks at least in advance on the hockey side and a couple of months for basketball. And you and you know it's going to be uneven. I mean, uh, it's going to be rocky, right? Like it's it, it, we've seen it in the NFL. We we so you're going to have to be malleable through this whole thing, and you're going to have to figure out, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, you have to deal with potentially, you know, positives and all that rot. And so uh, we're aware of that. I mean, it's just uh, you know, I, I think you know we we're at least attempting to head down a road of competition, which I think gets everybody a little bit excited for sure. The NCAA recently made an announcement regarding the eligibility for winter sport athletes, granting winter sport athletes an extra year if they so choose. Uh, This is something that I guess to me, I guess seemed a little bit contrary to what they had decided last year in regards to winter sport athletes who were not granted an extra year after the postseasons were taken away. Why do you think the NCAA felt it important to grant that additional year of eligibility this time around at this juncture, knowing that we still have the potential for winter sports to still have a fairly, maybe a 75% or or a 60% of a regular season followed by a postseason. Yeah, I think, you know, a little bit differential for the winter sports last year. I think the majority of their season had been played. I mean, I I guess you could go back from a percentage standpoint for all the sports, but I, I, I think it, Certainly, I think over half the season had been played and, f- and to some degree, probably closer to 80 percent. And for some schools, it might have been 100 percent in some ways. Uh, I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, uh, in essence, our our men's and women's basketball teams, they were they were done. I mean, they were at 100 percent. So I know hockey was not. So they were at less than 100 percent. So I get that. But I think that's probably the differential. I think going into this you know, COVID year is the concept was, you know, there's going to, there were going to be some potential challenges with some student athletes, pretend, uh, 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 possibly, you know, thinking through, did they want to play during this time frame? And I think it gave folks just dispensation that, Hey, even if you attempt to play, it's not going to count, you know, on, on your four years of playing. And so, I think that was it more than anything. Now, I will say this. This is going to be incredibly challenging for our, I'll I'll call it our administrative compliance staff to, I'll, I'll say, keep up with what year you're in. And then the other challenging, and I'm not going to say unintended consequences. It's actually, 
in some ways a consequence is now shoehorning another recruiting year into your rosters. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I think you, uh, what we've learned, Alex, through all this is you make the best decision you can at the time that you have to make that decision, but it doesn't mean it's not going to come with other things that you're going to have to deal with. And I think those are the things that we're going to have to think through. I mean, the NCAA has allowed potentially for expanded rosters in some way, shape, or form. But I'll tell you this, and I'm just say it straight out here, is those rosters are going to end up going back to what they were at some point in time. So to me, you're going to have to make, I'll call it difficult decisions at some point in time. I, I've indicated to our coaches that our difficult decisions need to be on the front end, not necessarily mid or back end. And so we're having those conversations at this point because we have to look at it both from a roster size um, from a gender standpoint on how our rosters are made up and then from a financial standpoint. So even though the NCAA gives you dispensation, doesn't mean you take the dispensation. Yeah. And that's a key point, I think, because when you look at it, we've, we've heard a lot about how, you know, athletic department budgets are down across the country. There's not as much revenue coming in. This of course makes it feel like then you're going to have the possibility for a lot of additional athletes and student athletes on scholarship within these programs yeah difficult decisions to balance that because you want to make sure that these kids certainly the upperclassmen that would like to have a full year or or another year to finish a degree maybe and you can play at the same time you want to give them the opportunity to do so you also don't want to take away an opportunity for an incoming freshman that maybe had been guaranteed a scholarship or had earned one, et cetera. Yeah, really difficult decisions for all of our programs. Yeah, you know, back, oh, let's go back. Maybe it could have been, boy, closer to maybe even 10 years ago now, but certainly between five and 10 years ago is the fact that you could get out, give out multi-year uh, grant and aids. So multi-year scholarships. We do not. We do not. So there's a number of schools around the country that still do year by year. And so really the only thing that's now changed for us is there's a potential opportunity for, um, let's just say, your upperclassmen to be part of that mix moving forward that otherwise you thought that they wouldn't be because they'd be exhausting their eligibility. So it's challenging. You know, um, you get a sport like football, you know, Coach Schweiger, outside of being able to do X's and O's, you got to be a pretty good math major. Like, like you can't, you, you know, you you've got to fit sixty three fulls into no more than eighty five uh, humans bodies, if you will. And so, so at the end of the day, there's percentages that you have to be really thoughtful of. And so, as you said, you, all of our coaches do a great job. They have their whiteboards as far as probably what they're anticipating over the next several years. Well, this certainly puts a wrench in some things that you're going to have to think through. Now, having said all that, what we learned in the spring not all of our students are going to take advantage of this. Like they either will have, you know, graduate studies that they're going forward and doing, or they're got jobs or they're, or they're just done. 
you know, the other thought is, you know what, mentally they might just be, you know, I, I've kind of done, done it and, uh, you know, I'm going to move, move on with my life. So it's not, it, it's not a guarantee that everyone's going to want to potentially think about coming back. Yeah, all those variables. Every situation is going to be unique. Every sport is going to be a little bit different. Just a, another, <laughs> another wrinkle in what's really been a unique, confusing, difficult athletics year. Yeah, but it's okay. We have good people in charge, Bill. It's, everything is going to work out fine. Let's hope so. I, I mean, I'm an eternal optimist, but you know, I, I'm also a realist, and you know, it's been for sure challenging, and I know it's challenging for our fan base. Uh, it's been challenging for our student athletes, our coaches, and you know, the one thing that you know has been really difficult, and I think we've said this on the pod before, and if we haven't, then maybe I've said it so many times to others that I haven't said it on the pod. That w- what's really been challenging has been, you know, uh, if you just look around the country, you see, you know, for the most part, professional sports playing for the most part, generally speaking, high school sports are playing and others. And, and what really kind of got caught into like a middle area was college athletics, kind of a needing to be treated more like the pros, but in some ways from a financial standpoint or accessibility standpoint, when it comes to, let's just say testing was more like the high schools in that sense. And I, that's, you know, where I've been, you know, really candid with folks is that, you know, let's pretend we all had a blank check right now. And like money was no object. The accessibility to some degree are the issues as much as anything. Can, can you get the testing supplies? Can you get the testing units you need at this point? These are the things we're discussing right now with the summit league and trying to get these, uh, antigen analyzers so that we are literally kind of setting up our own labs so that we can do the three time a week testing. And those are the conversations we're having. I, I said on our zoom call yesterday, and I mean this with all due respect, like I was really good in PE in gym. I was not so good in chemistry and, you know, biology. And that's what I feel like we need to be really good at right now, because if we're going to go compete right now, we have to be really good and thoughtful about how we not only test, but we get results. And then when we get results, we have to pivot and figure out what we do when we do get those results. So literally, as I sit here today, I walk in every day going, how do we compete? How do we finally compete? How do we drop a puck? How do we, you know, throw a basketball up? How do we do any of that stuff, right? How do you throw a football? How do you do any of this stuff? How do you, you know, how do you throw a javelin? All that stuff. So it's challenging for sure. And, you know, I don't, if I said I had all the answers right now, I'd be lying to you. I don't. I mean, we, we're, we're trying to ascertain the answers that we need and asking the right questions. It's uncharted waters. I mean, this is just stuff that when you took the job and started a career in athletics, I'm sure that there were things, you know, you, you are, you know, that things will happen in life, whether that is natural disasters and wars and acts of God and things like that. And this is just one of the things that, you know, pops up every hundred years or so that it just so happens that it's, that it's happening at this point. But, you know, I, I think again, it just, it just goes back to having having a spirit of optimism and knowing that there are solutions, even if we don't have them right now, it's a matter of just 
taking another step and pressing forward and trying to find ways to get to that point where you can compete and sort of get back to a normal type of society that, that we kind of are used to. You always knew it was a p- potential that you could have an outbreak, uh, you know, a, 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 from a virus to some degree. And, um, but we are in a public health crisis. I mean, really, that's the, that's the truth. And so you, everything we're doing is with that as a backdrop. And we have to be really thoughtful about that. And, you know, you want to be able to protect your most vulnerable through this, uh, this, um, you know, situation. And so it's been, you know, again, knock on wood, um, our, our coaches, I think, have done an awesome job. Our, our student athletes have done a great job, um, you know, trying to forge, forge through. And, you know, our fan base, uh, you know, has been awesome and supportive as well. So at the end of the day, you know, um, I think everyone wants the end result is right to, to get to the other side of this pandemic. But in the, in the meantime, what can we do? And, and our, our job today is to try to figure out the competition piece. Continued good luck to you and the rest of the athletic directors and the presidents of the universities in our respective leagues. And best of luck to our student athletes and our coaches and everybody in the, this athletic department as you try and figure this out as you move forward. Correct. Well, I, mm. and like I said, I, I, I've said this before as well is, you know, our university leadership has been tremendous. Uh, Dr. Armacost has been awesome. And, uh, and having Josh Wynn uh, on our executive council team and, and Jed Shivers, who's our COVID lead uh, VP of business and finance, he's been tremendous. And just everyone uh, right down the line our you know, provost stores and, and Kara Hallgren and Melanie, Melanie Linder and Peter Johnson and, you know, Eric Plummer, chief of police, and it's just right down the list. It's been, you know, a complete team effort um, on our campus and it continues to be. And we want to make sure we do the right things for the University of North Dakota. Mm, Amen. Uh, Anything else, speaking of University of North Dakota, anything else from a UND perspective, Bill, or from an NCAA perspective you want to touch on before we flip things over to the B side? No, let's flip. I I think that's probably the best uh, information we could give out today is kind of how those two leagues were working it because those are truly in some ways next in line. There's, there's at least some conversation about indoor track at some stage and, you know, we're having those conversations and, you know, could something happen in December there to some degree where, you know, Kyle and I are, are having those conversations as well with Christine. Maybe there's a possibility of something happening. Like I'll call it behind closed doors, if you will. And so, uh, you know, so, but I think those are the big ones. And I, I think, you know, as we're kind of doing this every sort of other two to three weeks, uh, it, it always seems like there's updates to be had. And I feel like, you know, those are the big ones. Stay tuned. Stay tuned to all those things. More information to come in regarding, you know, pod schedule, regarding summit league schedule, regarding everything else happening with UND Athletics in the weeks ahead. B-side wise, pretty boring weekend, wasn't it? Nothing really happened. No, not at all. <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not to our respective soccer teams, Bill. Uh, let's talk about Spurs first, because this, this feels like a good time to talk about uh, the uh, sublime and the ridiculous. Your team was up 3 nothing. To West Ham, cruising. You bring on Gareth Bale, great reunion story, coming back from Real Madrid after winning so much stuff out there. It's the 81st minute, Bill, and you're still up 3-0 to a pretty bad West Ham team. And and then all of a sudden you weren't <laughs> up 3-0 anymore. 
what an incredible final 10 minutes of a match. How did we were able to, A, were you able to watch this live? And B, how did you respond, as, as Bill Nods has said? How did you respond to what happened over the final 10 minutes of this game? Yeah, so um, I'll say this the Premier League really is good for drama. And I'd say that we're just providing opportunity for the league to uh, to have interesting occur to it. It just happens to be it was on a negative side for us. But um, you know what's interesting? So a couple things, really. Yeah, correct. Three nothing. I mean, you should never give up that lead. But actually, two two of the three goals were actually pretty good on their end. But but but. Part of their issue is, and I and I've you know listened to a, a, a pod from the Athletic, um, the, the the gentleman that kind of follows the Spurs, he's, you know, pretty good. They just have set piece problems. I mean, that's it. I mean, and and here's here's their bigger issue, is they don't know when not to foul. I mean, I truly. I mean, so if you're gonna think glass half full right now, is like somewhere along the line. If you're going to push someone, and I say this lightly, push, of course they're going to go down to try to go get a set piece. And they got burned twice on it. And so that was on the flip side of Harry Kane almost scoring a third goal, hit the hit the uh, um, goal post, and then uh, and Bale almost scored. They really should have put a fourth one on. But their issue is set pieces, Alex. That's it. I mean, they've had, how about this? They've had seven clean sheets in Mourinho's 44 matches. Ooh, not a great percentage. Nope. Not a great percentage. For a defense-minded coach, that's not what you want. Yeah, and so they're, you know, and I feel for your team, I really do. Van Dyke is so good. I I really do. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But here's the issue, what I saw with him. Like in my, like, so it's really kind of cool watching a sport that like, it feels like everything's new to me. Right. So like Virgil van Dyke, like I didn't know who he was until he really kind of joined your team and whatever. And he's like, like I caught him in a window where he's at his apex and it's quite amazing when you have a guy back there that just cleans things up. And that's been the Spurs problem is they don't have that guy. Like when Eric Dyer's out there, he's a penalty kick waiting to happen. Like, like ser- seriously, Serge Aurier ha- ha- had no reason to put his hands on, like it, to me, it's a, it, it's a mental thing with them. Like the, if they can't get by to close out a game and they felt like they had to actually get out, get into someone's grill, so to speak, which normally you'd be like, yeah, you'd want that. Uh, they're just playing dumb soccer at the end. So, you know what? They get what they get. Uh, you know what? They earned what they earned. They earned one s- stupid point, which at the end of the day, <laughs> they should be ahead, uh, you know, but they're not. Yeah, a, a draw that feels like a loss is, is how we typically frame these. Yeah, 3-3. Three, three. The, the, um, Mourinho mentioned he felt like it was the mentality of the team that let them down. So we're not strong enough mentally to close these games out. Because they've, they've had a little bit of this this season of sort of letting leads slip away, you know, throwing away points, etc. You mentioned the positives, though. And, and there are a lot of positives to take. Obviously, it's early in the early days, seventh of the table. You're fine. After the opening day loss to Everton, where they looked so bad, they've rebounded and have had some nice wins. Man United, they won 6-1. to one. I mean, there have been some positive things. Harry Kane's got 
Two more goals now in his account, five for the season. Son is joint top scorer in the league with seven. That Those two have been fantastic together. You get to play Burnley, who's probably the worst team in the league coming up. One of the worst on Monday. So a chance to rebound. There, there are a lot of positives here. But you're right. Like, it's just so gutting. I will say, what a goal by Manuel Lanzini to tie it. Like, that was unbelievable. If you've not seen this, just, just Google either Spurs West Ham highlights or Lanzini goal and you'll be you'll be converted to soccer because it was unbelievable this the hit that he had on the thing Lloris even got a hand on it like that's the crazy thing and it just took his fingertips right off it's well, incredible so a couple <laughs> things even that's why you know soccer's interesting um it's a lot like baseball where there's a game within the game and even when the Spurs scored in the first minute of the game, actually the first 30 seconds, a beautiful, beautiful play finished by Sun, is, you know, that first 10 to 15 minutes, they gave up. They gave up chances. And so it's just interesting when you get momentum in any sport, how it can be hard to stem the tide and then what you try to do to stop it. I mean, I don't know what Sanchez was doing back there, but I, I'll tell you what, I mean, it, you know, the own goal was a tough one in so many ways. And they're just not, um, I, I, I'd say this, I've rooted for smarter teams before. <laughs> So that's a good way to put it. They're a bit naive right now, a bit, a bit naive still, over on the uh, north side of London. But again, plenty of time. But they're to fun to watch. Around. Fun to watch. You can't, you can't deny that. That's for sure. There's, it's interesting. They're Marie- not as, they're not as turgid as we thought. Yeah, they Mourinho's were be. interesting. They, they just, it's, it's fast. It's a fascinating watch. So yeah, I was saddened by it, but then I just said, yeah, it's kind of. Uh, what do I expect? Uh, that's what you're going to get until they start buttoning things down a little bit. And, you know, they haven't done it at this point. So I kind of feel like anything's possible with them still. And, you know, they kind of took the gas pedal off a little bit, you know, at, at, at the beginning of the second half, which that's fine because you're just trying to kind of clean the game up a little bit at that point. But, man, I'll I, I tell you what, that finish, as you said, was ridiculous. And uh, that that it took that for a tie. Think about that, really. I mean, how many times are you going to see that? Not many. Yeah, once maybe once a year. I mean, it's, it's the goal of the season. That's going to be really tough to overtake, certainly this year in the Premier League. I've been on your side of a three-goal lead that was dissolved a couple of years ago. Liverpool were up in 2014 when they were making the push for a championship, up 3-0 on Crystal Palace. They needed to run up the score to try and chase down Manchester City in goal differential. Left themselves open at the back, gave up three goals, probably, I think, in the last 20 minutes. I mean, a very similar situation, 3-3 draw. Doesn't feel great. So, But on the flip side, I've been on the other side as well. Liverpool coming back from 3-0 down. And that feels that 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 feels amazing. Is soccer, like you said, it's a game of momentum. It, it just seems like when you can kind of get one back, it's a little bit like hockey in that sense. Instead of maybe two nil, the toughest lead to hold or the worst lead to have in hockey, it's three nil in, in soccer. Yeah, I mean because you, because it, uh, truly, the other team is going to throw the kitchen sink at you now. I, I and and if they do get one, and you're kind of playing tight back. All of a sudden now, now you're starting really to look at the clock more than your opponent, right? And and so, yeah, I, I that's fine. I I, I agreed. I, I 
I watched the Spurs come back against Ajax, which was ridiculous. And yeah, and, and like, and, and you can't tell me Ajax is Ajax was great. They were great. They just they got beat by a, a, a team that just had incredible momentum, and it, it just happened to be that way. So I don't know. It, it's somewhat exciting um, to watch. They uh, they just need to continue to tighten some things up. But I, I do think you're right. I think as as the Premier League pretty wide open right now. I mean, especially with your injury a little bit. Man City seems a little, um, I, I, I don't say average, but th- that's about as average as it seems like that they've been in a little while. So it's just fascinating to see where that league's going to go. The fact that right now, as we, as we pod, I mean, Aston Villa and Everton are tied at the top of the league. Even though there's only been five games played, I think that that says it all right now. It's going to be an unpredictable season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's Liverpool. Um, and we're not going to go into the details. If you if you didn't see the highlights of Liverpool Everton, all you need to know is that I think uh, Everton's goalkeeper should have been sent off after karate chopping our best player Virgil Van Dijk and tearing his ACL and sending him. And 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 that didn't happen because there was an offsides in the buildup, so he wasn't punished, which sucks. And then there was a winning goal by Liverpool at the very end of the game that was ruled off because Sadio Mane had a hair follicle offside. It was that a was terrible, so terrible decision. That was so bad. Terrible. But that's that's you know again not going to complain. Like that's VAR. It's just it's an it's it's a bad thing. And we've we've gone at length on this for I don't know every pod for, for the last however many pods that replay doesn't always work and it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's a good thing and. We maybe shouldn't be relying on it so much. But the big picture, yes, is that Liverpool have now played five, you know, won three, got humiliated and won seven to two to Aston Villa, which was crazy a couple weeks ago, and then drew with the league leaders and now have lost their best player, really, in Virgil van Dijk for the rest of the season. And they're they're going to have to figure out some things because their goalkeeper and, and Allison and Virgil van Dijk, those are the two guys that took this team from being a crazy, we're going to play four or three games and we're unsettled at the back. All of a sudden, when they added those two players, they became defensive. Uh, they became solid defensively. There was a stability back there. And now Allison is hurt, even though that's a more short-term thing. And Van Dyke is hurt. And now they really are just a team that can score and they don't have as much stability at the back. And that's, that's a concern moving forward, for sure. Yeah, you know, the, uh, um, the one thing... I'll be interested to see, uh, you know, like a, like a Everton. I just don't know if they have the depth to, to sustain throughout that many matches, but I don't think they're playing. They're not playing Europa. So, so at the end of the day, that helps them a little bit. Right. So at the end of the day, they don't have to worry about that, but yeah, I I think it's, I think it's going to be a scramble this year to some degree. Um, and, and again, yeah, you just hate giving up points, but I, I, so here's half glass full. Uh, I'll kind of close it on this one is that sometimes it takes those matches to really kind of really get the message through that, you know, we've got to change the way we're playing at times. And, um, and if we don't, then we're going to be in, in for it. That's what's going to end up happening. And really no game is, is safe then. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Chelsea this year. No lead is safe. Uh, There's just, there's, there's a lot of teams like that. And that, that is going to make for a fascinating league. One last soccer thing. Someone very smart said, you know, in recent seasons, we've seen Either one or two teams separate themselves from the pack, put up record numbers of points. Obviously, it's taken 99 points or more 
to win the league, I believe, each of the last three seasons. I, believe, I mean, record-setting type numbers to lift the trophy. And this year, it's going to be in the 80s. You might just need 82 yep. or 84. Yep. That might be enough. Yep. And that really does open it up to a variety of teams. Even Spurs, even though we just saw what just happened, and they're very frail Everybody has huge question marks. There is no dominant team right now. And that's going to make, again, every weekend, we can kind of expect the unexpected. And that makes for fun. And it, if you're a neutral, great. It's going to make for great watching on NBCSN and well, Peacock. Well, the, th- in the, in the, the thing that you mentioned, you know, I, I, and again, I can't recall. I know it was one, but but West Ham was coming off a pretty convincing win over Leicester. And I think they had beaten somebody else right prior to that as well. So what I was surprised at, and again, I it was... They were up three nothing, but it, sometimes there's dominant three nothings, and then there's others that are like, yeah, but it, it, the play's been a little bit more fifty fifty than what the scoreline indicated, and so uh, and then you know they kind of you know heck if the game went let's just say one hundred and ten minutes, Spurs may have lost six to three. I mean it's hard to say, so it's just going to be fascinating. It really is, and <laughs> you know again you, you throw in a few you know Europa Cup games and some other things, and I know this though. Here's what I do know as far as the Spurs. They've got way more depth. Now, whether how quality it is in the back or and all that stuff, they do have options, though, which they did not have this past year. So they're going to be able to put a second 11 out there that easily is going to be able to compete in the Europa group stage, I believe. You're probably right against the, the teams from Bulgaria and Greece. It's di- it's different than it's different than what you guys have to like. Who are you guys playing today? Uh, they have to play Ajax today. Yeah, really cool in the Champions League. Yeah, it's it's difficult. That's difficult. They, they don't have a, a a group of death, but it, it's difficult to turn around and have to play good teams in Europe to try and make it to the to the uh, knockout stages. Totally, and so you know, it's just going to be interesting, and it's uh, um, it's amazing how much they put on how much uh, on the odometer that they put on these guys. Yeah, especially this year when when there was no off season to sort of recover and then train again for the new year. We've seen maybe not as many injuries as I think people thought there might be, but they're it's maybe coming. I think now that you start to have more of these midweek fixtures, so got to have a deep squad if you want to compete on all fronts. Uh, let's do really quick 60 second spill on the undefeated Steelers who just walloped the Browns this weekend. Uh, I think they're pretty good, but you know, I think Ben makes a big difference, right? Just pre pre snap reads. I mean, and, and able to do the things that you need to do. I, I, I mean, it's amazing. And, uh, they, the couple things, uh, the Devin Bush injury will hurt them because they're really thin at linebacker, really thin, like really thin. So that's going to hurt big time. And then, uh, boy, they can pick wide receivers. <laughs> everyone is, uh, everyone Patriots fans are so jealous that you can just seem to grab these guys every year in the third, fourth, fifth rounds. Chase Claypool is awesome. And he's like the eighth or ninth guy that you've selected that fits that mold in the last eight, nine years. It's incredible. 
Yeah, they're going to end up probably not signing uh, Juju because of what he's going to cost at some point, and someone else will pay him that. For, for but, but now they have it, it, their rotation of receivers are pretty good, you know. And and a couple of the guys, Johnson and Washington, I don't think have hit their uh, their apex at this point yet either. So uh, yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like they just they pick they pick them. That's all I'll tell you. We just got to find out who's making those decisions and just hire that guy away. That's I've been saying that for for years. Like whoever makes those choices in your front office or whoever scouts receivers, just double that guy's salary and get it. Because we can't. Because New England can't. <laughs> we can't pick receivers to save our lives. The only people that we pick that are good are converted quarterbacks to play that position. So big game for you coming up. Titans coming up this week. Undefeated Titans. Undefeated Steelers. First 5-0 start for the Steelers since the early 70s, since the start of the Chuck Noll, Bradshaw, four Super Bowl teams. So, so there's that. Really quick, last thing, 30 seconds on World Series MVP Mookie Betts. <laughs> Are you cheering for the Dodgers, Bill, or do you watch these games and just sort of have a little bit of sadness and longing? 30 seconds. I, I generally root, for the Dodge, uh, root against the Dodgers. So just because they're the Dodgers. So um, Mookie Betts hasn't changed me. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I understand where you're at and cause I have buddies that are on both sides of the ledger. I feel like Betts didn't want to be in Boston. I think he kind of ran his course. He was incredibly professional, like incredibly. He said all the right things last year, but I think he did not want to sign long-term there. And so we had an awesome Mookie Betts chapter, won a, won a title. And I think for those that say, Boston, you know, how could you do this? I think with truth serum, I don't think Mookie Betts wanted to be there. That's just my opinion. Because he didn't even go onto the market once he went to L.A. So um, he's a great player. I, I, he's awesome. But, you know, we didn't do so bad in the trade, per se. It, it, the, the bad part of it is you traded a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Did we? Uh, yeah, well, that got, is the bad part. Yeah. You got something out of it. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know. I Hey, I look at Shane Bloom's team on the other side, and he, he built a pretty good team over there. And, that is true. Uh, that does give you, you hope, know, doesn't it? It doesn't give you hope, and I, I'll be interested to see what their off season's going to look like. Um, they were obviously just as bad as bad could be this year because the pitching was terrible. But uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I'm rooting for the Rays. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Okay, you're rooting for the Mookie. It's hard for me to watch him and not cheer for him. He's just so really? much fun. Yeah, it really, it really is. It makes me sad. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm just not watching. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm, I'm not pretending. I'm pretending it's not happening. <laughs> if we're being honest, apparently he made a lot of good catches last last series. Amazing, right? My parents were in town uh, this past weekend, and we were we were watching. My, you know, we were watching baseball. Like that's my dad loves that, and so we we had it on for a little bit. And I think in the short period of time that it was on television, he had he had stolen a home run. He had like hit a double, like he had made this great base running play. Like it was even a brief glimpse, and they just were gushing about him and. It's uh, he's just he's just a likable guy who was one of my favorites with the Red Sox. So it's hard to cut those ties because of the things you said. He left in the right way from a professional standpoint. Phenomenal, phenomenal job of exiting posit- as positively as you can from that situation. So all the best to him. He's exactly like you can't make him up. Like he's exactly what you'd want as the face of your of your organization. 
And how, and how then the Red Sox did not just sign him to a 10-year deal and be done with it. It had to do with some of the other investments that they made, good, bad, or indifferent, but they should have given the value of their franchise. They should have just said, we'll figure out the other, I'll call it bad signings at some point, but we're going to invest in this guy. And they chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's it. I, I mean, you know, and again, I, I, I agree with you. Like, but I, I go back though. I, I, Mookie's too professional to ever suggest anything other than he had a great experience in Boston. He's thankful for Boston, but now he's on to his next chapter. But I don't think he wanted to be there because if he did, <laughs> I think he would have signed. Well, I think the thing is, though, didn't they lowball him? I mean, I think you go back to that. I think the initial negotiations didn't go well because they weren't – Boston wasn't – I don't want to say they disrespected him, but it was – I think – again, who knows what's true anymore, but it sounded like the initial offer was a little bit – disrespectful based on what he had done that sort of turned him off to like well are you really are you really serious about retaining me from from what i am i'm mvp of the league like you know 27 years old etc but who's to say he's in la now we're moving on i shouldn't even have brought it up no you're good so last thing are you so here's the last one for me to you is would you be okay with uh finish your career in boston john lester <laughs> I mean, he probably couldn't be worse than some of the guys that we were throwing out there this year. It would be a fun story. He was one of my favorites too. Lester was, I mean, that was, that was peak in my, in my time of being all in on Boston Red Sox baseball. And it'd be a fun story to see him come back. But man, I mean, he's not been an effective starter now for a couple of years, right? I mean, it's been not that, not that his time in Chicago has been a disaster. I mean, obviously they won a world series, but that was a couple years ago. That was like 2016, John Lester. I feel like that would be uh, would maybe be the, the sentimental choice that would not make as much baseball sense, <laughs> especially now That's that we're right. trying to go young and rebuild. I don't know if that makes if if the price was right. I suppose why not? But whew. yeah, I know it, it's just interesting. But they're going to have to uh, figure out that pitching staff because I'll tell you what it was. Uh, it, whatever little I watched, and trust me when I say little, little, um, but. Some guys, I didn't even know who they were trotting out there. Oh, I stopped. I stopped paying attention. Yeah, couldn't couldn't tell. Well, you. because they stopped paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, hey when they tap out, it gives you license to tap out yourself. <laughs> Again, they took a gap year. They took a gap year. That's fine. If you're going to take a gap year, 2020 probably not a bad year. To take a gap year. I respect that. Yep. I think I think Verdugo will. Will 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 be one of your favorites by the end of this whole thing. Just telling you, he's just got to, you know, he just got to get over it. He's he's gonna have to clear a pretty high bar. Jackie Bradley, come back. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they do with him. What they do with Benintendi. I don't know. I, I don't know if they just completely go a, a different direction. Yeah, I'm not sure. Great outfielder, clutch. In that World Series in 2018, not always great at the plate. Streaky. A little streaky. Streaky. I mean, when he's in a bad streak, he has no chance to hit the ball. Like none. Like it's just none. So, uh, but he, one heck of a defensive player. 
I mean, I thought Fred Lynn was pretty good. This guy is in some ways twice Fred Lynn, which is hard for me to imagine that that would have been the case, but he's special. Yeah, it's a classic case of if your outfield consists of him and then another B-minus defender who's actually a pretty good hitter, and then maybe somebody, then you can sort of make that work. Yep. But you can't have three guys. It just depends on what the makeup your, of your outfield is That's to cover correct. up his, he, his he deficiency at the there. plate. He can be out there, and but you have to flank him and make sure you, you make up for it offensively. Yeah, amen. I agree, 100%. And bat him ninth. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. As always, Alex, appreciate you. You as well, Bill. Good conversation as always today. Have a safe, good, positive week out there. We'll talk to you soon. Same. For Bill Chaves, for our producer, Cassie Niles, I'm Alex Heinert. Thank you for listening out there, and we'll talk to you soon in the near future on another edition of the Bill Chaves Podcast. Bill Chaves Podcast.